0: POP 53 with Phil Schaus on pop culture, music, and more. Welcome back to POP with Ken Mills, your pop culture podcast. And of course, I'm your host, Ken Mills. And today we are joined by Philip Schaus. Hey Ken, happy new year, how are you? Happy new year, I'm doing, doing pretty good, surprisingly, I just came back from uh, weighing myself, uh, my monthly weigh-in,
1: Yeah, I'm down,
0: where's my piece of paper? Uh, <laughs> uh, 4.2 pounds.
2: Man, that is awesome, Ken. the whole thing the whole thing you've been doing it's, it's super inspiring and it's amazing. You've been like you've had the best success because you're actually doing it, you know, and you're just sticking to it and you're consistent, and that's what that's what makes things happen
0: well i I didn't stick to it over the holidays, though. I was terrified no. like I was <laughs> talking to my buddy yesterday, and he gained twenty pounds just over Christmas. Oh, wow. And he's doing the same thing. And I'm like, oh, my God, what happens if, you know, I I don't know if I can come back from 20 pounds. But what's worse is my brother-in-law, he gained almost 50 pounds back. He went on a cruise just before Thanksgiving. So he said, between the cruise, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, I'm just going to cash out. Just, Just, yeah. Yeah. So now he started back on January 1st on keto again. Oh, good, good. And he'll lose it. He's just—he's a determined son of a bitch.
2: That's great. Well, man, you are too. That's why. I, so, what's what's your total? Like, what's your total loss right now?
0: About one forty.
2: Wow! Jeez. Almost
0: thirty pounds less than the last time you saw me. That's
2: amazing. And it was such a It's a—it was a huge difference for all of us, like to see. It was like, oh my god, man. You're, yeah, that's awesome. That is so great.
0: I'm still like, uh, you know, it's not like I'm Mr. Thin guy or anything.
2: It is a, a start. It is a big, big difference from when I saw you for the first time in St. Louis. So,
3: As a matter of fact,
0: that picture yeah. of when I met you, the picture I use for one of my comparison shots is the picture of me sitting at that table. And ah, you're on yeah. the other side of it. <laughs> it's just mind-blowing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it is, man. It's crazy. You've done so awesome.
0: Thank you, Phil. That means a lot to me, seriously. Uh, I think we caught you coming back from yoga and putting away groceries, right?
2: yeah, yeah, I'm kind of you know, I just actually got back from the grocery store um i'm well, I'm, I'm it feels like I've been gone since October,
0: right. well, you've been around the world literally, so
2: yeah, and it, so now I, like, I'm home for a week and I split again, but i I was able to like go get some things, so I kind of you know got a good start with my grocery list today. And so I kind of have kind of a little bit more gung-ho on that.
0: Well, we will get into your yoga and you keeping in shape and all that later, but it's great following you around the world. Literally.
2: It's been a great year taking you guys around the world. So, uh, yeah, I've had a, a 2019 was, uh, was an absolutely incredible year, tons of fun and looking forward to more.
0: So. Mm-hmm. Now, for people who don't know who Phil Shaw is, you are a musician, and you've, you, you're fantastic.
2: Oh, well, thank you.
0: And you have some partners in crime that you do some stuff with. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of run down through your resume.
2: Okay. Um, the, the biggest thing in 2019 for me was uh, I became a full member of the band Accept. And so I had a great year with them playing guitar alongside the fantastic pair of Wolf Hoffman. We had a great time. Uh, also in uh, kind of last year, the year before we, uh, the Gene Simmons band became the Ace Fraley band
4: mm-hmm. uh, to
2: a certain extent. So Ryan, Jeremy and I moved from uh, Gene while Gene's busy with his other side project
4: uh,
2: and uh, moved over to uh, Ace Fraley. So I've been doing gigs with him and doing all kinds of different things in town to keep him busy any way that I possibly can. So, it's been great.
0: Now, when you say in town, we have to let everybody know that you are in what I've come to learn as the truth that you are from Music City, which is Nashville. It seems like it's the, the epicenter of music at this point.
2: Yeah, music, period. Uh, you know, I do honestly think that country's always going to kind of be king here because music row. But it's turned into a great, great rock and roll town. Um and because so many, so many rock and rollers are now moving here, it's just kind of uh, a great music town. And I do live here. I've been here for 15 years, uh, which is the longest I've kind of lived anywhere in my, in my life and uh, have no plans on leaving. So, yeah, I haven't really been around a whole lot this year to do, some, to do many gigs here. I mean, which is okay with me. I like being gone.
0: Mm-hmm. I was talking to Brian Forsyth of Kix on the last episode and we were talking about how you never would have imagined how many heavy metal and hard rock players now live in Nashville proper.
2: I wouldn't have never believed that when you told me when I moved here 15 years ago. Um, it was, I mean, only a handful were here. I think Tom Kiefer was here, Brittingham was here, John Karabi was here. Uh, Wolf was here, Michael Wagner, um, but not many. And now I can't even name them all. There's so many people have uh, moved in just the past five, ten years.
0: Mm -hmm. It's very cool. Well, since you're in Accept now, I I think that we have to play the biggest song from Accept, right? I wholeheartedly agree. Let me ask you this. Do you have your balls to the wall?
2: All the time now, yeah.
0: Oh, good. Okay, well, here's (laughs) Phil Schaus. Here is Accept with Get Your Balls to the Wall. Man. I still remember when that song came out.
2: What a great riff! I mean, it's just the, the intro riff is so badass. It's just one of those things that's uh, one of those. It's one of those riffs. It's just so iconic, and it's like when he plays it, just nobody else plays it right, just like Wolf, you know. And it's it's cool hearing him do that every show.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, what do you play? Just for, for just let's let's pretend we don't know anything about you. Tell us what all instruments you can play.
2: I started off on drums, but that was because I was three or four years old playing on my brother's drum set. So those kind of fell to the wayside. I picked up saxophone in fifth grade. Can still kind of play. I can learn something. I used to be like I was honor band. I used to be, you know, a really really quick sight reader. I was in marching jazz, pep band, concert band, all those, and did well. Wow. And then uh, guitar and bass are you know guitar mainly, and um, I went for bass out of necessity, uh, just because there was going to be four guitar players in Aces Band. <laughs> so I went, I went for bass, and I, I'm really glad I did. I've really enjoyed playing bass. Um, and it's all it's challenging, you know. And now i got a gig with Lucifer starting next week, a Swedish band with Johannes Adonis, a German singer. They're coming over to America, and I'm filling in on bass for the tour. So, um, yeah, it's turned into more work for me, which is always great.
0: Yeah. So you're kind of uh, well-rounded in your musical talents. I want to ask you a question. How important do you feel that marching band and all that was to you growing up in high school? Really, really important. What
2: I do pull from that still is the work ethic that was instilled early and really hard when I got into high school. My band director was um, Ed Nichols. And we still keep in touch, and he's moved on into more administrative things in the school program, not instructing. But we still keep in touch. He loves hearing about what I'm doing. And uh, just the work ethic that he instilled in us of, of practice and keep on striving and working and working and working, that still is extremely important. I may not be marching on the field during halftime anymore, but I'm still going back to the things that he taught us. So. Mm-hmm yes great great guy and really 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 important in all the success that I've had so
0: my uh stepson is now in college with uh, a state and he's learning how to be a music teacher oh great he's a drummer so if you need a drummer he'll hook you up but uh, he's just awesome. wickedly talented but every time I ask somebody who's a musician about how important their musical education was, they almost always without a doubt will mention someone that was influential that walked them through that process, whether it was their teacher or their band director. Yep. Yep. And it's just to me shows how important musical education truly is.
2: It really is. I'm so glad that I, that I did that. Um, and I was uh, for me, I wanted to play drums, of course, because I'd already been playing drums. I could already kind of play even like it, you know, at, at a really young age. And I started the band program in Nebraska. And in Nebraska, you had to have two years of piano to play drums because they were thinking about playing mallets. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, I can't, I, don't, I didn't have two years of piano. So I picked saxophone and I'm, it wasn't a, it wasn't a question of, it was a question of, What am I going to play? It was like, well, I can't play drums. Okay, well, I'm going to be involved in this somehow. And I had to be in on it. And I'm so glad that I didn't do You can't pick drums and just go, well, I'm not going to do it then. I'm so glad that I went with sax and, you know, did that for a lifetime. And it it was so, so great. And I'm so thankful that I did that.
0: Fantastic. Every band I've been in, it was always a rush to see who could be the guitar player. And then if you found someone that was really super good, you would move into the bass player slot. And it's kind of like softball, right? It's like, okay, I'll yeah, be yeah. shortstop, right? Yeah. But if you're going to really make the bass work, there's a lot of tricks that you have to learn, like when to like kind of like go against the beat just slightly, because like all the best and players can dance around the notes yep. and the beat, right?
2: Exactly, exactly. I learned as a guitar player how much I listened to the snare drum. Mm-hmm. Which is not really what you do when you're playing bass. This is the kick drum, and I was I was pretty shocked that wow, I really I'm a snare player, so having to re- kind of rethink that thing, and figuring out when to walk around. My favorite is Paul McCartney, and 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 Gene. I I learned so much by listening to Gene, playing with him and watching him, and and he plays a lot like McCartney too. He 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 walks around and. And so I kind of try to emulate those guys. I stick to the parts, obviously, like with Ace. I, I'm playing the part right, but it's, it's fun to figure out the spot. Because I'm still learning my, and figuring my way around playing bass. And it's a lot of fun to figure those things out. Like, okay, I'm going to try to walk around here and see what happens and see if it works. If it doesn't work, then I won't do it anymore. But it's, uh, it's fun doing that because it's still so new and challenging. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really having a good time.
0: Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned Paul McCartney and of course you mentioned Gene Simmons of the rock group Kiss.
2: There it is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm legally obligated by contract to do that at least once per episode. So But you know, it's sad because I feel that Gene almost when he's in Kiss at this point he, he just kind of just does the thing. But when he was doing the Gene Simmons band, he was all over the neck. on. He
2: things. was all over. He was having a really, really good time just playing bass. And like, cause he could do things with us that, you know, wouldn't maybe may, may not fly and kiss. He was just having a good time and really like exploring, like doing crazy fills. And, and he would look at us when he would do one, he'd look at us, like have his mouth open. Like, you see that? did you
0: see that which was always fun that he was great well he really respected you guys you could tell
2: oh it was like it was mutual man we miss him so much just being around him and those shows were so much fun i mean you can look and see what you can look and see how we felt about each other on the on stage and those smiles were not fake you know when we smiled we grinned the whole time you know it was just amazing how much fun we had and just genuine good times Mm -hmm. but yeah he was great it's one thing we we really took away was how good he is and what a stylist he is on the base like and he doesn't hit very hard either he's very light touch Mm -hmm. which i was surprised but I, i learned a lot by watching him
0: yeah now i want to take you back to to your roots to who Phil Schauss is as a musician and where you first found those things. And uh, like, for example, to me, one of the first songs that I remember that was like an electrical shock going through me was like hearing day tripper or I feel fine. Right.
2: Right. Right. Uh, mine goes back to my, my brother, Kevin's record collection. He's 13 years older than me and it's only me and him uh, as brothers in the family or siblings. And so Uh, I was born in '75. He was 13 in '75, so by the time you know late '70s rolled on, he was in high school, and that's when all the great rock and roll was out. He was a big Aerosmith fan, the early Van Halen stuff. Aerosmith is my first thing I remember, like really, like falling for. And I guess I can't think of a particular song, but I'm going to say "Toys in the Attic" because that record was. I was obsessed with the cover, with the pictures on the gatefold, everything about that. I just, I, I loved. So I'm probably going to say Toys. And then when I got my first, when he got me my first CD player, when I was in eighth grade in 88, he bought me five CDs to go along with it. And one of them was Zeppelin II. When I put Zeppelin II on, it took me back to when I, apparently that was one of my records that I listened to also. And I couldn't remember it until I heard them. And like hearing a whole lot of love, hearing Moby Dick and hearing Heartbreaker again, but for the first time at 13 was like completely like, Oh my God, I haven't heard these in like 10 years.
0: So you actually you know? cut your teeth as a child on, on that Led stuff. Zeppelin and Smith yeah. and all that.
2: Yeah. And then he uh, is the reason I got into the Beatles. Um, Cause I was into the monkeys, which I think we, we, we talked about too. I was into the monkeys in 86 because it was the 28th anniversary and monkey stuff was everywhere. And so I fell in love with that and he, and Kevin said, well, if you like that, you're going to love this. And he gave me the red album mm. and he was, he was right. And I've, I'm still, I'm, I'm still, It's started an obsession that has not left and I'm still, you know, totally freaked out. I was like 11 years old I'm just a Beatles fanatic and it hasn't gone away.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, so much great music there. It's just uh, absolutely yeah. amazing. So yeah. I, we're going to pick another song to play. And we're going to get into a couple things like what's your favorite weapon of choice as far as guitars. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about lifestyle, you know, diet, things like that. Sure. And we're going to talk about your pop culture. So why don't you pick a song for us to play? Something that was influential that knocked your socks off.
2: All right. So I'm going to go back to the group of CDs that my brother first got me. Uh, And we're going to go to Van Halen 1. And we're going to play, I think it's track five. We're going to play I'm the One off of Van Halen's debut album.
0: Now you boys love you some Van Halen, you and the Rock and Roll Residency, the uh, yes. Talisman, the Nashville Three, or the Fuckface Four, which was <laughs> which was a lineup I was part of. It was very limited. Yeah,
2: the short-lived lineup. I think we may have a reunion this August.
0: I'm hoping. I'm hoping. <laughs> and for those who don't get the joke, we made up a band lineup for an interview that we did last August, and that was the name of it. So. <laughs> <laughs>
2: If if you if if, uh, if you dig deep enough on Facebook, I'm sure you can find our band photo. Uh, it, it's it's on there somewhere.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was asking you earlier about your weapon of choice, and by that I mean, are you like a Strat guy? Are you a Les Paul guy? Where do you like come into all of this?
2: Yeah, I'm more of a Les Paul shaped guitar player, and for the past few years, I've almost exclusively been playing. Um, vintage 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 guitars not they're not meaning they're old
0: the brand name
2: right the brand name is vintage and um they've been super supportive of me i love their guitars i love their basses. uh with except i play uh the wolf hoffman framus flying v's and those are great there's no need to bring in anything different except as a flying v band mm-hmm. uh so i just wanted to come in and go you know what if it's cool i'll just play yours which is fine and um but yeah vintage has been amazing to me they've been super helpful and they make great great guitars and they're affordable which is one of the best things i like about them you can walk into a retailer and buy like the guitar that i play for under five hundred dollars and it's a great guitar it's a great quality
0: instrument you're not Mm -hmm. shining shoes here you you mean what you're saying yeah
2: and, and you can buy like the same one that i play for for under 500 bucks and you're not going to have to put new pickups in it. You're not going to have to put new volume pots in it. It's a great guitar like when you buy it. And that impressed me so much And that I'm like, well, yeah, this is great. Kids can go buy the actual guitars and have a really good quality instrument.
0: And you know, it's not just how a guitar plays, but how it looks. And you, you have some really kick-ass straps that you yes. get, get your hands on. And, and who's the gentleman and the company behind the straps that are made for you?
2: mr eddie carlino I, I just went i was in boston for connecting for a flight recently i swung in the shop and said hey to eddie picked up a couple new straps um and he makes he also makes kiss straps he makes joe perry's he makes uh mark slaughters uh, great guy and the reason he's so busy and doing so much big work now is because he makes the most comfortable straps i've ever used ever like you've got, doesn't matter how heavy your guitar is or whatever. You can have the heaviest Les Paul, put one of Eddie's straps on it and it's going to take all the weight off. They're so comfortable. They're so well-made. Um, and they look fantastic.
0: Yeah. You, you definitely have to talk about their looks because they are attention getting straps.
2: Yeah, they are. I always get people asking about them. Uh, he also makes, uh, he also makes Wolf straps now because I walked over to Wolf's, uh, walked into Wolf's one day with one and he said man that thing is great who where'd you get it told him about it he put on the guitar just Loved the feel of it and contacted eddie so now wolf's a customer so um yeah they're great um i've got a couple i've got a paul stanley looking one has um abalone and uh studs on it i've got a couple more gene looking ones and yeah man he does great work he does um some stuff now with animal prints so if you wanna go like live to win, you know, you can you can do that also. <laughs> yeah, great guy and he makes great guitars as well. So not just straps, he makes guitars too. If what I've said interests you at all, you can check him out at carlinoguitars.com. dot com. And he's got all his guitars there and also all of his straps.
0: Yeah, he's he's got some really cool stuff checking out folks. We'll put links in the show notes and they, they seem to treat everybody that uh they work with really well, so
2: Eddie's a Eddie's Eddie's a great guy, and that's why he has more work than he doesn't to do with.
0: So, but
2: yeah, he's a, he's an amazing dude.
0: Now we caught you coming off your workout, and you stopped at the grocery store. So, uh, as you know, diet's been a big thing with me for the last uh, year or two.
2: And and again, I'll tell you, I'll tell you publicly, is what a, what a what an inspire inspiring thing you've done over the past couple of years. Um, documenting it so everybody can follow up and uh yeah you've done amazing work so congratulations
0: well thank you brother and uh i know that you told me that it was different from the first time you met me till the last time we saw one another back in yeah, August. big
2: big time even during the holidays you lost weight
0: yeah which, so there you go so there you go yeah amazing that that was the goal <laughs> actually, actually the goal was not to gain that was okay. that was the <laughs> if you goal. Just
2: break even. That's okay. Yeah, breaking yeah, yeah.
0: even can be a great victory, trust me.
2: Well, I totally failed that one. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you got me.
0: Now, you, you know, you're a you're a, you're a, you're a good-looking guy. You're a very fit-looking guy, and I know you're into yoga. Right. Tell me about that journey. Yeah, it's, it it my uh,
2: absence from Nashville this year has made it a bit tougher to do yoga as much as I like. I'm not one to do it on the road with the exception of if I can find a studio close to the venue or the hotel or something, which is rare. I have a great studio close by my place in Nashville. I go there every morning that I possibly can when I'm home. Um, I just got home last night uh, from New Year's Eve in Sweden and everything. So I plan on going tomorrow morning and um, doing it all week while I'm home. It's, I started it um, over 10 years ago. And it's been, it's, you know, I, it's been in my life constantly, but I haven't been as I I don't want to say religious, but you know what I mean? Like religious about doing it. I've kind of, you know, I've been off and on about doing it, found a great place. I love hot because it's like, I leave there in a, uh, I leave there a, a puddle, you know, and it just feels so good to go sweat for an hour or an hour and a half in you know, 105 degree heat and and do a yoga workout and you leave feeling fantastic. Um, so I can't wait to get back into that tomorrow. Haven't made the best diet choices this year. Uh, it is a bit harder on the road.
0: Well, you're just coming off the holidays and you're on the road. So
2: Yeah, on the road is tougher. I still uh, don't make the 100% best choices that I could make on the road. But, you know, being uh, actually uh, joining Accept and having to stand on stage next to Wolf, who is 15 years my senior, and uh, looks absolutely fucking fantastic. And is in the best shape and uh, is always on top of everything. It's been kind of an inspiration watching him going like, okay, okay, time to time to get with it. I have to show the stage with this guy. So I'm not going to be the the slower, uh, sluggish one for sure. So
0: (laughs) now I know that uh, your fellow bandmates from the rock and roll residency and the talisman and the Nashville three and all those things, they make fun of you because when you're on the road, there's one thing you try to make sure that you have at all time. What is that?
2: Oh the oh my um my um alkaline water yes oh, my coconut
0: water yes your coconut water what's the deal with that
2: okay so I sweat so much during the shows I look I'll look over at Jeremy and Ryan and they they they're, they have perfect hair and everything and I'm a complete mess second <laughs> second song I don't know I don't know what I don't know what I have in me that makes me do that but I'm a sweater and so. In lieu of like Gatorade or something, I love to have coconut water. Like uh, as soon as the show's done, I walk off and I'm a, just a complete drenched mess. I love opening a, a, a coconut water and just pounding the entire thing, um, the minute I'm done. So I got I got to work on getting that on Accepts Rider actually too. So yeah, mental note,
0: mental note, yeah. Note to self, note to self. So what is it about the coconut water that works for you? It just, it. I love the taste of it, A,
2: and it does uh, have electrolytes that I swear. It's like, and people are like, you're not, you know, I'm not doing a football NFL workout, but I do sweat a lot on stage. And in an hour and a half, two hour show, I'm pretty drained. And after that, it does, I do feel better. It does replenish something. And maybe maybe it's, maybe it's all mental. I don't know. Um, but I do love the taste of it too. So it's a good, refreshing treat. But whatever works for you, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a good, refreshing treat. Instead of walking off pounding a beer, I'll at least pound a uh, a coconut water first Mm -hmm. and maybe pound a beer second.
0: (laughs) Now you mentioned beer. I know that you like to check out beers wherever you're at. What's the best beer in the world? Like where, where have you went and goes like, I've got to come back to this Hamlet here because they've got the best.
2: Right. Yeah, uh, the Czechs make great beer because they make lighter beer. Um, but probably I love Germany because each region that you're in has something made there that you gotta try, you know. And uh, that's why my favorite place because all over Germany is like, oh well, they make this here, mm-hmm. and it's all really delicious, crisp, like good tasting light beers like pilsners and lagers. So I'd probably say Germany.
0: Mm hmm. Now, what's the one food that you like? What's your go to food if you are eating healthy at that point?
2: Um, I you know what I love and I've found they're getting uh, easier to find are the poke bowl places like you go and it's like fish and rice and seaweed and greens. Mm-hmm. And it's make they put on this big bowl for you um, that I absolutely love or sushi.
0: Now, you say you don't know what the difference is between you and other people on stage, that you're a hot mess by song, too. But I've seen you jump like as high as Michael Jordan. so
2: (laughs) Maybe I do put up a little bit more effort. Not effort, but I don't know. I well, Ryan is my... just
0: Ryan. One of your, you might as well say what it is. But uh, Ryan, Spencer, Cook, and Jeremy Asbrock—they're like the Kevin Smith, uh, you know, kind of thing. They're they're your hetero life mates uh, mm-hmm. in a way. They're your they're your partners totally. in many ways. You guys are a great rock and roll force, and your brothers, and it's fantastic. And uh, Ryan is just too damn cool to sweat.
2: I think, I think so. And he never does. And i like, I just look around and nobody's sweating, but me, I liked it with Gene because Gene sweat as much as I did. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, he'd be my song too. me and him would be just, you know, drenched with sweat, but I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a dehydration thing. Do you know if that is maybe, you know, cause I don't drink enough water. I do right. not drink enough water in the day. And I wondered if it was a dehydration thing. A like body's working overtime to cool itself.
0: That might be what it is. Honestly, I don't know. Like, like if you went in more, more hydrated, if you will, I think you might. Yeah. it might help you out. So, I don't know. But, something uh, to try. Yeah, something to try. So I asked you about your pop culture history, and we're going to talk about that on the other side of this song. I've got a surprise for you, Phil. Oh yeah. This is actually a recording of you. From August of two thousand nineteen. This is you live at the Rock and Pod Three. This is you doing that smell. What can you tell us about this?
2: Oh man, so that was with Brian Forsyth. Yes. From kicks was with us on that one and we had played that with him on a couple monsters of Rock Cruises because Brian played with the Skinner kind of tribute thing for a while. So we knew he would, I, I knew he was into them and when we were going through tunes. For the cruises, I was like, well, man, we got to do a scared one with, um, with Brian. So that was an easy thing, and he was going to be around for the Nashville one. And I thought that would be a great idea to get him on that one, too. I think that was the only guest that we had on that song, was Brian. I think so. I sang it for the first time ever, so hope I did okay.
0: Really? That was your first time singing that? Yeah. <laughs> because I remember saying to you that night, this is one of my favorite versions of the song. I really loved your vocal performance on it.
2: I'm you saying that. I appreciate that. Cause that was, I mean, if I know the song. I've known it for years and, you know, sung it in my car, but you know, it was first time actually like really singing it, you know, in front of a crowd. So yeah, it was fun. I love that too. I love Skinner D anyway I too.
0: Yeah. Now a lot of people think that song was about drugs and alcohol, right. And the yes. dangers of it. But I also think it might've been uh, touring with uh, Ryan and Jeremy.
2: Actually that's what I kind of thought of when I was singing it. <laughs> to be totally honest, it's probably their version of touring with me. <laughs> Cause we talked about how I had the sweaty guy and
4: yeah. sometimes
2: sometimes I smell like a hippie. And uh, yeah, it's probably asking them about that, they'll probably say no, it's about touring with Phil.
0: <laughs> All righty then. So here is Phil Schaus with the Rock and Roll Residency. With special guest Brian Forsythe of Kicks with Skinner's classic, that smell.
3: On the microphone, Philip Schaus. Thank you, thank you. Lyrics right here. With solos here, so I don't mess up. Everybody, go.
1: All
3: right. Let's do it. Okay.
0: Something that's important to you, and I know you are big into our pet friends. Yes, and you have something called Mutt Merch. I want you to tell us what Mutt Merch is and why our friends are so important to us, our, our four-legged friends.
2: Uh, well, uh, Mutt Merch is uh, uh, right now it's a T-shirt line. It blends my love of dogs and music together, so. We have T-shirts like Bones and Noses, Black Labeth, the Beagles, Arrow Sniff, uh, Sergeant Puppers, Lonely Mutt's Pup Band, uh, <laughs> is one. So you get the idea. But we have several shirts, and um, this year I want to do some more things. Primarily, already uh, me and my uh, person, my web helper Janae, we've already started um, kind of prepping for the year and. I want to do a lot more charity stuff this year. Uh, it's been t- had a tough years, kind of slow years. So I wasn't able to do a whole lot money wise with, with charities the way I wanted to. So we're just going to think we're going to start just spreading the word and helping with re- rescues is a big thing for me and rescuing animals and not going to breeders when there's no really need to and helping out no kill shelters, helping out rescues. I know several in the area, and everybody's got a shelter or a, everybody's got a rescue in their area. Everybody in the country does that. You can help out. Um, so I kind of want to focus on that this year, of course, along with selling shirts, of course, uh, but also doing some new products. I don't have any dogs currently just because of my lifestyle. It's very hard to have something when you're not home.
0: Yeah. You can't go gallivanting <laughs> around the nation, joining three <laughs> different bands in the right, same
2: some, year. So, something that is, uh, you know, dependent on you for life, <laughs> you can't really manage that when you're gone. But I still, you know, there's a huge space in my heart for them, and uh, just want to help them as much as possible. And it was a good way. The shirts are cute. The shirts are funny, and we make shirts for people and
0: dogs. He is not kidding, folks. He he actually has shirts that you can buy for your pets. So if you're like, say, a Guns N' Roses fan, there's a Guns N' Roses type-looking shirt, and that is called
3: yeah bones and noses
0: bones and noses, so yeah, uh, so when you get a black labbath, it looks similar to the black Sabbath logo, so it's, yeah. it's 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 a nice way to love your pet and love your band at the same time, and you've got one uh, prince alike run d m c alike and so on and so on and so forth
2: yeah don't so we don't we don't just have rock ones, we've got some uh some other kinds of music too um but yeah it it's just it was a fun thing to do. And a few years ago started it up um, and just been trying to stay alive the past few years. And I think the goal this year is going to be charity and uh, like helping out rescues first.
0: And I know it's something that this is for real on your heart and it's something I really respect that you do. And you've also sponsored our shows and we've tried to get the word out and it's cool when you see yes. someone like Tracy or or Christine Wolf or Heather Berger and, uh, You know all the people out there that that have purchased shirts and they take pictures of them and put them on Facebook. It's it's a great way to spread the news and it's great to see your shirts looking back at you, right?
2: Yes, it is. And if anybody's listening that has purchased one, and if you don't mind, please post and tag us. And if you don't mind, of course, we'd love to share. We love I love seeing that stuff too. So uh, thank you for everybody that has purchased and thank you for your support. And the whole idea is to you know be able to help more dogs get homes i think so
0: and where can people find mutt merch at uh, mutt merch
2: you can find on muttmerch.com that's m-u-t-t-m-e-r-c-h.com where's
3: your mutt merch mutt merch makes you and your dog rock, rock gods. gods with shirts like bones and noses <laughs> black lab and more Go to MuttMerch.com for all the details. For those about to bark, we, we salute, salute you!
2: Mutmerch.com. MuttMerch.com.
0: Now, I'm a bit older than you, but you and I are from that generation where we feel, and probably every generation feels this way, but we feel like, like the stuff we grew up was like the greatest pinnacle of all, you know what I mean? Like, as long as you were alive to hear it or see it, like that's when your culture really, you, you had the best of everything. You know what I'm saying?
2: I do. And I also, I'm really glad that I was able to um, acquire music and acquire concert tickets in the way that I, that you did back then, like by going to buy a record and bringing it home. And it was, you know, music was something substantial. You could hold it in your hand and look at it um and concert tickets you either had to go and wait in line or go to the go to a place or you know dial your touch tone phone and, and try to get you know ticket master and try to be like break in line and get tickets that way um i'm really glad I was around for that
0: do you remember like when you could get like tickets at j c pennies and stuff like that yeah where? yeah it was it was i think it was at Parisian. In
2: the mall in Decatur, Alabama, I think you could go either that or not, One of these department stores had a Ticketmaster outlet in the back and the customer service things. So you just go get tickets there.
0: It was so weird because the same place that you could get like back to school and slacks and stuff like that, yes, you could yes. also get Van Halen tickets.
2: You could get t- you could get concert <laughs> tickets there too, and uh, yeah, I, I'm just I feel really thankful and and privileged that I got to experience that.
0: Mm-hmm. Now the same goes with TV and movies. Uh we always ask everybody like what are they into? What are things that help shape your pop culture? What are things that you love? What do you gravitate to?
2: I love bad sci-fi. I love like bad black and white science fiction. I, I don't know why. I always have. I've always had like an affinity for those mm-hmm. those types of movies. There's a I don't have cable, but I have uh, HD antenna. Mm-hmm. And there's a show, there's a team, it may be on cable too, I don't know. But there's a, there's a network called Comet.
0: Mm, yeah, and you can stream it as well if you have a Roku and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, and so they pretty much show those movies, and they show MST3Ks also, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit. But they show like all those movies pretty much all the time. So I love watching that channel. And I, I've kind of liked this stuff since before even high school. Like in middle school, I kind of loved you know, renting the, like the worst, shittiest looking sci-fi movies from that time period. I don't know why.
0: Well, what do you think it is? I mean, what, what does it, what do you get out of it? I mean, sometimes they're just silly, right?
2: Yeah, and, and I love the bad special effects. I love the bad acting, uh, the horrible plots. Uh, and this, the campiness of the whole thing, I guess was attractive to me. And I, I don't know. And it's just one of those things that I just like, was gravitated towards. and I can't really put my finger
0: on it. So tell me about Mystery Science Theater 3000. When did you first uh, become aware of it? And what did you think of it?
2: Really early. I think I was a freshman in high school. And so I think it may have been the very first season on Comedy Central. Mm -hmm. And my brother told me about that also. He was like, oh my God, this show is amazing. So he turned me on to it and I fell in love with it immediately. And it was when it was before TV's Frank. Mm-hmm. Was on. It was uh, Doctor uh, Feinstein.
0: Yes, yes.
2: So it was Doctor Feinstein. Were the two guys. So it was super early, and it was of course Joel still on it, and uh, it was and the old Tom Servo voice. Anybody that doesn't watch the show is totally lost right now with our conversation. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but so yeah, so I started I started videotaping them then, uh, and some in some box in my parents' house, I've got. Just boxes and boxes and boxes of VHS tapes with nothing but MST uh, episodes on them.
0: I remember the first time I saw them, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I just, yeah, you know, I just, I just parked it because I saw an old movie. And right. sometimes you just want something old, on. You and know yeah. what I'm saying? It's right. there's just a comfortable feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Nostalgia is comfortable. And I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Because commentary tracks show up, you know, nobody knew what that was back then. Nobody right. thought about that. And it was it was so groundbreaking and it, it caught on like crazy. It just blew up.
2: It did. I, I, I fell in love with it and I would watch. I would also watch, you know, the new ones that were coming out. And also I would watch my my taped ones over and over and over and over again. And I actually, along with my friend, Matt Comer, we drove from Alabama to Minneapolis to the second convention. Wow. So I actually went to the, uh, the MSC convention part two, electric boogaloo. <laughs> so, uh, I got, I got photos with Mike and all the, and all the writers, Jim Fallon, trace, Mary Jo, like they were all, you know, Kevin Murphy, they were all there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was great. It was, it was, uh, it was so much fun.
0: Do you have a list of like, let's say your top three, uh, mystery science theater 3000 episodes?
2: Um, I love, uh, okay. I, ha- okay. So the big comeback season, I, I couldn't finish one. I thought they were terrible. And, but then they made another season after that, like with the new writers, there was like six of them. Mm-hmm. that's some of that's some of the best writing i think they've ever had those six were amazing i can't think of any of them in particular so i've got to go back old so i loved Ega. hmm was amazing manos hands of fate is <laughs> is one of the greatest things ever on on uh on the screen and uh if i had to pick a third one uh, pod people probably
0: and it's something that has kept coming back and kept coming back every time you think well they're done yeah. They keep coming yeah. back. I'm really glad they made
2: the newer, newer season because I honestly couldn't finish one of the big comeback season. They really changed they, they didn't come they didn't do their bits during movie dialogue. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really a weird thing because you've got only a certain time between in, in dialogue in the data spaces between dialogue and the movie to, to get your joke across. And, and it, when they would just interrupt people, it was the best thing ever. And they would riff and riff and riff. And when they stopped the riffs and limited, limited, limited them to the time, that kind of took away from the whole thing. It slowed the pace down.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm glad they kind of, in my opinion, redeemed themselves with those six, like with the six ones they did recently. So those are great.
0: Now, what'd you think of the riff track?
2: Uh, the Riff Tracks, I haven't seen a lot, and I actually did go to one, they did one live here, and they did, um, they did, uh, oh, what movie did they do? I went to it with, uh, with my friend Nathan to TPAC. It wasn't Laser Blast, it was the one with the really nerdy guy, and they get on a, a plane and go back to, like, medieval, um, what was the movie called? It wasn't Laser Blast, um... It was uh, they they were in this prop plane, and a guy invented a time machine, and he was the most unappealing hero ever. This was like the most unappealing lead re- leading actor. It was awful, but I can't think of what it was.
0: Time chasers.
2: Time chasers. Thank you. Yes, it was time chasers. <laughs> and they actually had the cast there. Yeah. I went to see him in TPAC here in Nashville and they had the cast there. They had the guy and they had, it was, it was, it was really, really, really cool. I went to that and I haven't seen many more of those, but I mean, when you're dealing with those writers in that concept, you can't lose. They're just they're They have that thing. So dialed in and they're great at it.
0: Mr. science theater 3000 was such a unique concept and such a unique show.
2: Yeah, it was. And again, I'm glad I got to watch it and uh, I'm glad I got to go see a couple shows of it. And um, and now, they're, you know, they're all you can find them all on YouTube or all on, um, I think, Vivo, I think, too. So, yeah, I, I, I still watch those to this day. I put those on and laugh my ass off.
0: Absolutely. Phil, since you're a big science fiction fan, I know that you and I both share a love of what I'm going to call one of the greatest TV shows of all time. That's Star Trek.
2: I totally agree. Uh, that's, that's absolutely one of the best TV shows of all time.
0: The original series
2: is actually one of the greatest things on television ever.
0: What do you think made that show what it is to you? And what is it to you?
2: Uh, the lack of special effects and special effects technology meant you had to actually write a good TV show. And I think it's pretty much, it's like the Shakespeare of television. Plus you had Shatner acting in it, which that's where he comes from. So you had that kind of a very dramatic play feel Uh, from that. And the fact that it was was science fiction, they got to tackle so many taboo kind of topics of the time and they got away with it because it was space and it was future and you're dealing with different species of, you know, there's people, there's aliens, and you got to tackle so many different things that, you know, a regular TV show like a cop show couldn't have. And the fact that they did all that in three seasons and the show has spawned what it spawned, all the offshoot shows, all the movies and um, everything is just a testament to how great that, that three year run of that television series was and what it really meant and um, how special it was. And yeah. And there's a lot of shows too. It wasn't like, you know, 10, 12 episode seasons. Right. Once you get into star Trek, like there's a lot of ground to cover. There's a lot of great shows.
0: It's almost intimidating for someone who is thinking, well, I'm going to jump in. Like, for example, there's a part of me that I know that inside of me is probably a huge doctor who fan, right? Right. It's got to be,
2: <laughs> Same way.
0: but I look and there. It's there's 50 seasons. I have to like catch up on and that's rather intimidating. So
2: entirely too much. Right. Yeah.
0: So I think we're at that point with Star Trek, too. And I think even Star Wars is kind of getting that way because, like, I know that, like, I'm not as big a Star Wars fan as I am a Star Trek fan. But I now look at, like, I can't keep track out of the sequence of the movies at this point. Like, there's so many Star Wars things that have come out in the last five years or whatever. Right, it's
2: getting like that.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of lost.
2: I got to say Mandalorian is absolutely amazing. I just finished it and I can't wait for season two and I can't wait for Kenobi. I'm a huge Star Wars fan too.
0: Mm-hmm. So you don't have a religion like out of the two. You, you, is there one that you prefer over the other Star Wars versus Star Trek kind of a thing?
2: That's such a tough thing because I, I never did get into any other Star Trek series besides the original.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I know there's a new Picard series coming out pretty soon too, but... I never did really have that like fall in love with any of the other ones except that cast.
0: so you're like pretty much the original series locked in kind of a thing,
2: yeah, I just think it was so groundbreaking and so fantastic and just the and just the time it was in too, and just the limits that they had another one of my favorite TV shows that ran the same three years is Star Trek was Batman, yes, and so they ran the same three sixty six to sixty eight and um, and the monkeys. Yes. <laughs> so I guess my three my favorite shows were like on the same three three seasons, which is weird. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I just like that time period. Um, the limits they had, especially with science fiction. Now I see science fiction. You can do if you get good if you got good effects. Your your story can be shit, but you couldn't have that back then
0: right absolutely you had to have
2: great dialogue you had to have good acting you had to have everything else that was the most important thing
0: yeah somebody was asking me the other day about comic books because as you know i'm an artist and uh Mm -hmm. we were talking about the importance of good story crappy art uh, amazing art crappy story right like if you have a crappy story and great art I, because I'm an artist, I'm such so visually inspired. I can overlook a lot of crap stories, right? right? <laughs> but if the writing is not there and the art's not good, there's nothing at all, right? The art has to be really super good for me to overcome crap writing. Yeah. So, as
2: our uh, as our good friend likes to say, you got to have the fake and the fiddle. Yes. You know, so <laughs> you, got, you got to have both, you know, you got to have the, the, the flashy things, but it has to be good, like at the core, which in TV and, you know, storytelling is a story.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's time for another song. I want you to pick another tune for us.
2: All right. Um, if I had to pick one Beatles song as my favorite, I would probably have to pick Paperback Writer. Mm hmm. So let's play that one.
0: Well now, why that over Day Tripper, I have to ask, because they're so similar, yeah, right? Yeah, I know that was actually that was a tough one. That was a tough two to
2: choose from. because uh, those are my two I was gonna pick because I love Daytripper's is is perfect also. Um back rider, I guess maybe just the sheer heaviness of the riff and the way it's played is very aggressive for sixty six. Mm-hmm and just the way the bass walks all over the song it was in jeff emmerich's book and i think through the bass i think through the bass sound, yes. i think this is yeah. the one where one where they where they took the speakers and made the microphones yes because yeah that's the one and that's why the bass sounds like it's going to blow up your your speaker
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah and it just sounded so huge and and plus all the layered vocals in it it's just it's kind of like
0: heavy beach boys well, without further ado, you know. or further ado, here is the greatest band of all time, in my opinion, with Paperback Rider.
4: Paperback writer.
0: so cool you know let me ask you this do you hear the frere jaca part in it
2: i do now yeah now that i know what they say yeah
0: i remember being a kid and i had this book that came with a record and it had like songs for kids right and one of the songs Mm -hmm. was london bridges falling down right yeah and i remember that i would play that and then i'd like play Beatles songs and i remember hearing frere jaca in both of them and i was like I've discovered some clue. I, and, and who knows, maybe that's when my geekery started for the first time.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. I think it took me reading it and then I realized, oh, yeah, they're just the saying forever, jacket. Like the same when they're saying tit over and over again in girl. Yes. Tick, 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 tick. <laughs> like I didn't hear that until I was like, oh, duh, of course they are. <laughs> <laughs>
0: boys will be boys
2: yeah, exactly because they were they were like early 20s they were mid-20s doing those songs
0: i know it's hard to believe that that was only six years that whole thing was six years yeah
2: yeah i i still think about that and it's still as amazing as it is every every time i think about it it's just like how did that fucking happen
0: we're talking about day tripper versus paperback Writer, right Right, like on one reason I love, uh, Day Tripper is because it's got like this weird crazy edge to it. Like is like is the chick just being mean, or you know, like like mm-hmm. Cheap Trick's version of Day Tripper. Yeah, it sounds like the guy's on the edge of possibly suicide, right? But if yeah. you listen to Paul McCartney and uh, John Lennon's version of Day Tripper, it's it's a much cooler thing right but right you know i've been doing this thing where i've been checking out how some of the songs that we grew up with might have only been like two minutes and 30 seconds long right but could you right. imagine like a seven minute version of day tripper or a six minute and 29 second version of day tripper
2: that's that's an interesting thing i've never thought about that before but that's pretty amazing to think about
0: See, I don't think it would hold up as much as I love it, how much, how much, how great it is and how wonderful the performance is. If I were to like recut a five minute and, you know, 49 second version of day tripper.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I don't think it would. I think uh, a lot of the appeal is how much quality they got into a two minute and two, two minute 22nd space, you know? Uh
0: And I I wonder what that says about songwriting, because I take a look at the songs that really mean the most. And outside of like Yes is Roundabout and uh, mm-hmm. Stairway to Heaven and, you know, Hotel California, there's there's a nice collection of songs, Bohemian Rhapsody. Like there's those. Hey, like, Jude. Yeah. Hey, Jude, obviously. Yeah. But there's that's 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 like a select you know, yeah. that that's like royalty. That's a certain thing. Like you have in order to be in that category. But I think that we, as a musical culture kind of got into the idea that the longer things are, the better they are. And that, Oh, that's too short. Like an old timey song.
2: Right. Which, which is weird, especially now because nobody has any attention span at all. So you'd think that it would go back to, Hey, here's two minutes. Yeah. You know, cause nobody listens. Nobody has, uh, any, time to listen to anything like people to listen to full albums anymore you know
0: right i mean just imagine a six minute and 28 second version of heartbreak hotel just the same thing over and (laughs) over again
2: exactly it's like you know don't bore us get to the chorus is the old adage but uh
0: yeah um... four minutes and 54 seconds of rock around the clock Mm -hmm. it just doesn't hold up
2: it wouldn't work it wouldn't work weird you get in you get it done you leave
0: yeah and i think that that's one of the reasons some of those songs mean so much to us because mm-hmm. they didn't bore us you know i just wonder
2: there's no filler it's like it's all quality it's like it, the, the all the lyrics are good all the all the chord progressions are great it sounds good and it's done it's catchy and it's over so the beatles were the kings of that
0: absolutely you know you mention the monkeys you mentioned... Batman, you mentioned Star Trek and that's really when TV became electric and color. When you think about it.
2: Right. It was, um, yeah, before it was, um, I don't know. I kind of think I, I just dragnet popped in my mind
4: mm-hmm.
2: and, uh, you know, dragnet, there were black and white and color episodes. I believe in dragnet, I mm-hmm. think. And yeah. I just thought of like, you know, just the squareness of Jack Webb, you know, and how it was in, and they were, you know, he was always, the young people were coming in and it was always like these rebellious, young people, not doing really anything bad, but you know, by, by, uh, I Your guess kids by those are all hopped up on Reaper, they, Yeah. And goofballs and whatever yeah. they were doing. Yeah. The yeah. same thing. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, the monkeys, I guess were, may have been the first like, cause the Partridge family had their parents and they were a rock band, you know, the, the thing, but then their, their parents and they had guardians, mm-hmm. the monkeys may have been the first time that it was like the youth culture, Like, and, and if you can think of anything else, please tell me, I I can't think of anything before that, that was like, here's four guys on their own in a band living in this house and driving around and having hijinks. But
0: was there anything before? Not that I can really think of. Even when they tried to do that same thing again, they would always put a crimp on it. Like the original monkeys pilot had them have a parent in the sense that they had a manager, Oh, that's right. Yeah, and it didn't test well. When they cut the manager out, it tested through the roof. So that's right. I forgot about that. The monkeys never actually made it. They were they were always trying to uh, get their big break. They they never made it. You're right. Even though they could afford a beach house <laughs> and a cool car and a and a car that was on par with the Batmobile, but somehow right. or another. But they did have monkey magic, because if they needed to change clothes or even become monkey men, all it took was... Monkey men. Yep, there you go. This looks like a job for...
5: <laughs> monkey men! Hop, hop, and away!
0: Monkey men away. So there they were some young guys trying to do the dream, but there was no parental authority.
2: Yeah, that may have been the first of that.
0: Yeah, I, I believe so. And yeah. uh, so between them not actually ever making it and them being without a parent, if you will. I mean, the yeah. closest thing we had to a parent was when Rosemary was on the one episode, you know, and she became that, Monkey Mother, right? That, that's right, yeah, yep. And I know you're such a huge monkey nerd like myself. And I remember when you, you and I actually first met in the physical space. It was up in St. Louis and I was there to see Gene Simmons band, which you were part of. And Mm -hmm. you went to see Peter Tork and Mickey at the, uh, At the Wizard World. Yeah, at the Wizard World convention. And I remember the first time I saw you, you came bounding into the room like Tigger. You jumped over like tables and you were, it it, it looked like you were trying to get a a football into the end zone. You were just zipping around everybody. And you were like, Ken, dude, I just met Peter Tork. (laughs) this long-haired had, guy
2: jumping over the table we had just had our first conversation and then we figured out that we were both monkeys fans and we we're like oh my god yeah and so yeah that was a huge thing for me he was so nice i told him what i was doing there and all that i knew you know sandy Gennaro and john billings i knew some people and like oh I don't know these guys lit nashville and his his face lit up and when i mentioned those guys and he he was that was a big meeting for me because uh, I mean though the, the monkeys were a huge part of my musical journey or musical lessons because that's what got I mean they weren't British but that's what got me into
0: sixties British music. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, was the monkeys. Uh,
2: they were they were they're, they're solely responsible for that.
0: So, like, what's your top five uh, monkey songs?
2: Oh man, uh, I love Pleasant Valley Sunday is uh, is amazing. Um, so is that
0: one or five?
2: Oh man I probably I don't, I'm just going to name five I'm not sure if I can put them in order yet uh, but I know uh, She was great I love She that was a cool one
0: Pleasant Valley Sunday the thing about She is uh, I remember someone saying uh, she you know there's like mistaken lyrics right songs that you yeah that you think you know the words to and someone said uh, she devoured all my sweet and low
2: Oh, oh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's great.
0: Yeah, but sweet love was the actual lyric. but uh, Yeah.
2: Oh, that's funny. My sweet and low. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Pleasant Valley is amazing. She was so great. Oh, man. What am I doing? Hanging around is just maybe the wild. I like all like, Mike's tunes were so cool. Star collectors groovy. You just may be the one. Door the summer. Like just, like, yeah. I don't know if I can do a top five of those, but man, there's so many cool.
0: Randy Skousik.
2: Randy Skousik was awesome. Yeah, it's just they had so many great, so many cool tunes, and it's like, and I, I forget about a lot of them. Sweet Young Thing was great.
0: Oh my um, God, what a great song! Uh,
2: yeah, like I, I uh, never, I forget about a lot of these until I like put the records on, uh, and I remember like, oh wow, yeah, this one. And it brings back because what I used to do as a kid, we were the last family on the block to have a VHS player recorder. Mm-hmm. So I, I would audio record monkeys episodes. Mm-hmm. The entire the, 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 the show, like the dialogue, Same and everything. Here. So I would audio record those and listen to listen to those instead um, sort of watching them. So yeah, it was an was early obsession, too. Love is only sleeping. Yeah, man. Oh God, there's so many great tunes. Going Down is so cool. Mickey doing his James Brown thing. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it was just really, that was a big, big deal to me. Papa Jean's Blues. Some great stuff. Such great, so great songs. And they were like the March Brothers. I mean, they were like, kind of like, they were funny. You know, they were, they were all funny.
0: John Lennon once said that the monkeys weren't so much doing the Beatles but doing the Marx Brothers. But the Beatles weren't any slouches at doing comedy in their own way. And, uh, and I know that you really dig Hard Day's Night.
2: I was a Beatles nut, monkey's nut around the same time. And I, I found a video rental place that had Hard Day's Night to mm-hmm. rent the, the, the movie. So it was one of those things where you, you'd go and get it for a week and then you take it back and then you rent it for another week. I would keep that thing months at a time. Uh, I can probably still recite it to you without even watching the movie. Um, and I think I may have audio recorded that, too, so I can listen to it on the weeks where I may not have had it in my possession and you could watch it. Mm-hmm. So that was the sort of big one today and for me. And then they finally got help, too. And then I finally got to see help. So. Yeah, like you, you couldn't, you had to wait. and Plus, it was in a small town in Nebraska.
0: What else is there to do?
2: Exactly, but it wasn't like a cultural mecca, and they didn't have like, oh yeah, we have this Beatles movie and this one. You had to kind of wait and request them to order it, and that's when VHS tapes like 80 bucks. Remember when they are really expensive? They were like 80 or $90?
0: My wallet still is crying because I remember I pre-ordered help. I was working in a Zara store in Laurel, Maryland. Oh. and uh I pre-ordered it through the store and I it was 87 dollars with tax and yeah and I was like have I lost my mind you know have I lost my mind <laughs> I remember that I remember that if you if you like had
2: damaged it at some point like if you had the it was like you know you had to mortgage your house it was so expensive <laughs> And it's funny like how media and and everything is, is – it costs nothing now.
0: It's, it's, yeah, it's, comparatively it's so it costs crazy. nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, here's the big question on that. you got to pick one, Hard Day's Night over Help. Which one? Versus. Hard, Day's Night. Hard Day's Night. Easy. No question. No question for me. The weird thing is is that I look at uh, Help and it looks brand new. It looks like that film was shot this year.
2: Yes, you're you're totally right.
0: When you see it on Blu-ray, it looks like a brand new movie. Yeah. One of the things that freaks me out, and this is really geeky, but when you watch Hard Day's Night and you see like George's fingerprints on his guitar where he like picked it up and was shuffling it about, you know? Yeah. And you can actually see the fingerprints on it. Like that's just is mind blowing.
2: Uh, yeah. It is like and then nobody cleaned it off. Nobody yeah. was like, wait, 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 wait. We gotta, you know, and 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 fixed it, you know. And it, there was so many things like that in the movie that are just because they didn't know what they were doing, you know. It was kind of one of the first rock movies made, and they thought they. I mean, they. I remember they. Um,
0: Nobody thought we'd still be talking about it fifty some years later at right, all, right?
2: Because they they rushed the script and rushed the production of the movie because they thought they were the Beatles were going to be done by the by the winter. Right. So they wanted to they wanted to get this out I think by the I forgot when it was released but that was the thing they wanted to get it out that year because it's like well they're going to be gone next year. So let's yeah. go ahead and milk this while we while while we still can.
0: Yeah, I was from a town called Andover, Ohio and I was not able to see that when it first shot showed in town but when it showed like in 60 68 67 like mm. i remember them showing a double feature of help and hard days night and being a, this little kid and people were screaming in the movie theater yeah it was so yeah. weird and there's my mom being a teeny bopper right
2: right <laughs> yep
0: so bizarre yeah
2: i mean and they would rip when when, uh, when the girl can't help it was kind of and and the movie Rock Around the Clock was was going around. They people ripping the, the the seats out of theaters.
0: The seats, yeah, cutting them with switchblades. Yeah, full scale riots for and like movies. You know,
2: just kids are ready for. I mean, it was a youth culture. I mean, it was uh, from, from the baby boom. The population was now dominated by teenagers, mm-hmm. and they were dying to let loose. And rock and roll provided the perfect avenue
0: for that it's it's weird because i remember i had one of those old little red transistor radios and i could pick up new york and boston and chicago and Mm -hmm. texas and all this stuff and there was the cklw i remember getting ready for school and i'd take it into the bathroom with me and i'd turn it on and you might hear the osmonds right next to Jimi hendrix and then sinatra would be played it was that right diverse yeah, it was, uh,
2: Stevie Wonder, you know, you, would, would his would be put on rock stations. P-Funk, you know, all that stuff would be put on rock stations. It was all, it all fell under the umbrella.
0: But see, I think that what happened, this is one of the dangers of FM, is that it had to become cool in order to be played on FM. Right. We didn't play kids stuff. So then what happened eventually is the kids stopped listening to it. Oh, yeah. And I like, for example, I did this this episode on pop called The Birth of the On-Purpose Teenager. And in it, I put forth uh, me, me and Roseanne Welsh were talking about how teenagers became a thing and how they became a source of income. And then at some point we became the Toys R Us generation. Mm -hmm. and you know like the toys of us theme song is i'm a toys r us kid you know i don't want to grow up Grow up, right and this is why we have like kiss rooms and dallas cowboy rooms and gone with the wind rooms and (laughs) you know whatever you collect becomes your thing and meanwhile you've got family that are living on the street right so but yeah exactly but we've also made it that we have room for collectibles that will never open So we buy things we can't touch and we'll never actually experience because it's got to keep it safe. It's going to be a collector's item, right? And uh, on the other side of that, it's like, I'm not a big Justin Bieber fan, but when that guy came out, like adults were all over him. You know what I mean? Like they hated that guy. And how is that any different than when Elvis or the Beatles or whatever came along, right? But at some point in the 60s, rock and roll got older pop as in pop music not pop culture but pop music donny yeah. osmond michael jackson dance music and stuff like that that was for kids and rock became the thing it stopped being rock and roll and became rock right yeah yeah i think it was the late 60s that happened but yeah. then you but then you get into the 80s and you've got you're listening to the wolf, right? Or whatever the, <laughs> you're listening to the Eagle. You're listening yeah, to a yeah. bird of some sort, you know, whatever. Rip, rip the knob off. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the thing is, is while they were playing Leonard Skinner and yes, and the doors over and over and over again, they wouldn't play poison. They wouldn't play faster Pussycat. They wouldn't play any of those things. And, now you'll you'll hear those things like you could not hear pearl jam or nirvana on a classic rock radio station when they were big now now that they're dead and gone or They're they're now classic rock so yeah but we will not let kids have things for themselves like you were talking about how important the monkeys star trek and batman were and they were picked up by the youth and carried on till this day. Right. They're celebrating right. their 50th anniversaries. Yeah. We don't let kids have that anymore as adults. We won't let them have anything cool.
2: Yeah. I, anything that they like. And I, I, um, I think it's, I think every generation does that, that looks and it looks, and goes, Oh, what is this crap? But every generation before us did it too. When the Beatles came out, when Elvis came out, it was, you know, it was, it was, horror I'm like no you can't that's terrible
0: yeah but if you saw your uncle frank wearing a beatles wig in 1965 he was being ironic
2: yeah, totally yeah
0: now i mean i'm 56 i don't look like i'm 56 that's because i i know miss Claire all yeah, and sure. <laughs> i refuse to get old and gray right so miss Claire all is is a friend of mine so yeah so you know i'm hanging on to my youth so we're hanging on to our youth in a way that like the people that grew up with sinatra they didn't necessarily want to be hip like wearing Nehru jackets and being you know in 1967 you know what i'm right, saying right so exactly. they kind of like stayed their age and they were content to be come older like they didn't necessarily want to become young we right. have this thing it's like it's 1986 forever or whatever the year is like you get locked in, especially as a guy. I think guys are the worst because if we find a haircut that worked for us in 1982, lock that shit down. I'm taking it (laughs) till I'm taking that to my grave with me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And thank God for the women in our lives who like go, "Eh, are you going to wear that? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, you know,
2: I've done several of the rock cruises and uh guys aren't the only ones that are doing that, I'll tell
0: you. <laughs> oh no, no now but see, we used to have Aunt B and now we have Gilf's and MILFs and Yeah. The whole culture doesn't want to grow up, right? So we yeah, we, right. we wanna keep our youth. We wanna keep that. But like we really hate it when our heroes get old or don't always maintain the vigor of youth, right? Yeah, David Lee Roth is doing his rock and roll Vegas residency. And the first day was just brutal.
2: Yeah. I was hoping you were going to bring that up.
0: <laughs> I honestly don't think he could hear himself all that well. Seriously. If you check out video from the eighth, it's pretty harsh, but if you check out the video from the 10th, it's a lot better. Seriously, check it out. See, here's the thing we're seeing David Lee Roth at this age and he is no longer trying to sing anything like the original melody and arrangement. Clearly. Yeah. And, you know, so people are like really giving him a hard time. And I'm not saying that they should or shouldn't. I'm just saying that if I feel that David's voice is still workable, but it's the fact that he doesn't sing the way that it was on the record at all. He just has no interest in that as a performer.
2: Yeah. Which, which, I mean, he kind of, you, you could, one could, use the argument that he never really did.
0: No, he never did. That's the thing. But, but on the other hand, when we saw him at the cap center in 1987, it wasn't on YouTube the next morning.
2: Exactly. And now the stuff that you do watch from back then, it's like, well, he did it a little bit better back then. He, 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 he didn't go for the exact, uh, versions of the tunes, but, he was long blonde hair, shirt off surfer guy and doing it a little bit cooler. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that may come with age that may go away with age, but it just seemed to be a little bit different, but yeah, he never has, but now it just seems, I don't know, a little bit weird to watch and weird to listen to. I don't, I don't think I would enjoy that show.
0: Well, if you were there, it might be different. Exactly. But when you're looking at it, over your coffee the next day at the office, where mm-hmm. you're supposed to be working. Uh, <laughs> right, but uh, but I think that we are just so harsh on people, and we do judge so many things by how they look. Right, that's totally true. David Lee Roth prophesied where he would be. It said in the one video at the end of hot for teacher, it said David Lee Roth went on to become America's greatest game show host, right? He's, he's exactly. more David Lee Roth is not so much a singer at this point as he is a master of ceremony.
3: Everybody right. look at everyone here tonight.
0: You know what e- I mean? E- yeah. So it's, totally. uh, it's all that more than it is. Uh, he was never really a proficient, note for note singer he it's almost like a scat or a jazz kind of thing like here i am this is what i am tonight and the, the next performance is going to be totally different but be we different. can't stand that as as listeners we don't like that right
2: yeah because like, that was people like that's the main reason sammy fans like sammy i think is because it was was pretty pretty much consistent i mean sammy's a ridiculous singer and still is he's his vocals were always over the top, like high and great and great voice. He still sounds great, mm-hmm. but he was, he was the consistent singer where Dave wasn't. Now people that say Dave wasn't a good singer. I have a big problem with that because the the, the vocal performances on those first six Van Halen records, they're, they're incredible. And in particular, I think women and children first was Dave's record.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think uh, his vocal on Take Your Whiskey Home alone should cement him as one of the best rock singers out there. Because nobody had what Dave had. Nobody had, I mean, he even had the Vegas element back then. It was a little bit more hidden with the long hair and the the flashy pants and the furry boots and stuff than it is now. But he always had that. He always had the Dean Martin. He always had the Jack Benny thing. Yeah. Jack Benny used to walk out at live shows and he would walk out and he wouldn't say anything for 10 minutes and the audience would be rolling in the aisles. Right? Mm -hmm. So Dave would, Dave would do that too. In a sold out 12,000, 15,000 seat arena in the eighties, Dave would walk out, look around, put his hand to his chin, nod, somebody would yell, he'd react to it. He would and they would, and would just build and he would do that for five minutes by himself and have the entire arena losing their minds. So he is more of an he's one of the last I think like old school, almost vaudeville entertainers yeah. that we have left, and he's still like, you know, he's still finding a way to do that. So the fact that he's still doing it, it's awesome. Him
0: and Alice Cooper. Him and exactly him and Alice Cooper completely. But the difference with, with Alice Cooper is he knows the marks to hit, and he'll hit them every time.
2: Hit them every single time. That's one of the consistently best shows you'll ever see is him.
0: Right. Absolutely.
2: Always great, man. The The set list you can't lose. And Alice is awesome. He's always going to be Alice, and he's always going to be great. And it's gonna, they're, they're going to electrocute him. They're going to stab him. They're going to cut his <laughs> head off. They're going to do all the things. And it's awesome. And those two guys are still the entertainers in that old way, which is amazing that you can still go see people from that that are still like that. But Dave was that way when nobody else was paying attention to Jack Benny. I mean, that's what he was
0: doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
2: And uh, he was the only guy that had, I think, that had that thing, But the only rock guy only guy in the rock metal world that had that kind of um, element to his performance was Dave.
0: So to me, the situation is not that his voice is gone. It's that him following the script that he wrote back in 1980, whatever is gone.
2: Right. Exactly. But yeah, it is kind of
0: um, the voice is a thing. I think, I think he could, I think he could use his voice better. To me, David Lee Roth is, uh, you know, can you tame David Lee Roth? Will he ever be able to tame himself? Because like I said, I, I don't think it's his voice that's shot. I think that it's, it's just him not sticking to his script that he wrote, if you will. Yeah. There's an appearance of Van Halen on the Jimmy Kimmel show from when they were together last. Yeah. All the way through the song, he's talking about how when they first played, it was just down the street just up the road here does anybody remember that and he keeps that's like the entire lyrics to the song he's just talking about like how many of you were there when we started and here is live from the jimmy kimmel show van halen doing hot for teacher and dave talking through the song the the band's playing the band's the playing dave pay, pay attention <laughs> yeah it's yeah. almost he's he's like an old guy on the porch just talking about like i remember when i was a kid
2: yeah man he did that in nashville when they came through on the last on the last tour they when the last they played nashville um on the different kind of truth tour he was doing that over uh hear about it later and that's one of my favorite guitar intros and it's one of my favorite Van Halen songs, period. The fact they're playing that. Well, Eddie's playing the intro, and Dave, of all people, David Lee Roth, the, you know, the oh fuck your girlfriend, pal, that guy. <laughs> there was there was a beach ball being tossed around the arena, and he's like, hey, we better be careful with that beach ball. Somebody got their glasses knocked off. It's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, could, I couldn't believe it's like, this is, this is that guy? This is that guy? And he'll spit water at me, pal. You know, it's like, I couldn't believe the fact that he was ruining my chance, maybe my only chance to hear that song play live. Or talking off oh, the intro because a beach ball is going to knock somebody's glasses off and hurt somebody's eye. I was like, this is, okay, this is not the David Lee Roth that, I, that, I've, <laughs> that I've grown to love at all.
0: So at that moment he became the uh, parent in Christmas Story. You're, you're you'll shoot you'll your eye out! Your, you'll
2: shoot your eye out! Totally yeah. was, couldn't believe it. And then and then the big thing the tour before when he had um they had the big screen and uh-huh. he's showing his he's showing his dogs. It's like, <laughs> I mean I I mean hey everybody knows I love dogs I'm like now this year this is a sheepdog. dog and sheep dogs are like cheerleaders like what are you talking about crazy <laughs> old man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I couldn't. I was sitting there, just like, open mouth, like, what's happening right now? Is if you, oh, just the start difference from you know the van. I mean, of course they're not. I know they're not in their twenties anymore and all that stuff. I get it. I know,
0: but it still was weird <laughs> to to watch that. Oh man. Dave is great. He's going to be fantastic. He's opening up for Kiss. David Lee Roth is a showman, and David Lee Roth is a born entertainer, and the guy could just open up a Wikipedia page and just talk about it for 30 minutes, and I'd I'd go see that. He's, he's, he's a great talent, but uh, a lot of his songs that first night, it almost sounded like someone singing karaoke that never heard the melody of the songs, but like I said, the last two nights uh, he improved greatly, so I think he had a problem hearing. Another weird thing that came up pop culture wise is I get on YouTube and it says, here's a new video recommended for you by Motley Crue and it's shout at the devil, but it's not Motley Crue. It's the cast of the movie. And they just put that up two days ago.
2: I saw that. And you know what? I think, I think people are going to be surprised when they go see Motley Crue on this new tour and it's not those guys.
0: Yeah, I think so too at this point. They should just send those guys out. There's going to be, who are these old guys in makeup? <laughs> you know, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be like that. I was just stunned to see that that's Motley Crue's thing this year. This, you know, the, the tour is on sale and they're pushing a video of four other guys lip syncing from a movie. Of the movie guys. Instead of themselves. And they're kind of building that up
2: now. And I'm like, well that's not them, but I don't know. I'm probably going to miss that, that tour. But yeah, I, I really think that a lot of the people that are going because of the movie um, and to no fault of their own, you know, are going to go thinking it's them. It's like, where, where's machine gun Kelly? The,
0: <laughs> when do they come out?
2: Where, where's the guy from game of Thrones? When is he coming out? Yeah. it's
0: it's not happening folks. So buyer beware. Buyer beware. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's that's rock and roll at this point. There's very few guys that are able to be something like what they were back then. I mean, that's why you got to look at someone like Mickey Dolenz, who still consistently, day in day out, does a great job, an amazing job. Him and Robin Zander. You know what? I was
2: I was thinking this today um, uh, of the singers that still haven't miraculously haven't lost anything and it, i thought of five guys and of course this is not a countdown this is just five guys
0: i'm casey Kasem, and today we've got phil shouse of the band except and today he's gonna let us know his top five vocalists who still have it
2: a Long this is dedication going to peoria Illinois. Dedica- <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, of course uh robin zander's in that in that list Uh, Bruce Dickinson is somehow better than he was in the eighties and the whole band Iron Maiden, you go see Iron Maiden. It's like going to see him in 86. It's it's, it it defies logic. Yeah. They're Um, they're killing it this year. They're amazing. So Xander, Bruce Dickinson, um, Steven Tyler is still like as as 70 years old um, physically and vocally hasn't slowed down at all. Amazing. Um, Derek St. Holmes sounds like he had his vocal cords frozen after double live gonzos was recorded and now sings just, just like that. I don't know how he does it. It's amazing. Every time I get to hear that guy sing, it's a pleasure. And Frank Demino from Angel, mm. actually, and I was talking to Frank about this. We did a gig, to, Ace and Angel did a gig together and now Angel's back like in the white outfits and everything. And, and it's yep. And it, and I was talking to him about that. I said, because of your voice, Angel sounds just like Angel in the '70s. It's it's completely the same band, and it's because the singer is the exact same. Frank hasn't lost anything. He was the nicest guy, and it's like I told him, I was like, you're on a really short list of guys that sound absolutely the exact same forty for forty years later, which is which doesn't make sense when you're talking about the vocal cords, But I guess that's why it's such a short list of guys. I'm sure I'm missing some people too. Um, but I mean, that's the five I can think of that are that are, are just uh, still just as good. I haven't lost anything.
0: And I'll add Mickey to that list. So we'll Yeah, it Mickey, out Mickey too. It's just, it's so great. Um, it's so good
2: to see guys like that. Halford is still, like you don't see Judas Priest like, good Lord. He sounds amazing. So it just, it's so great to see guys like that—the greats that are still absolutely great.
0: Mm-hmm. And Frank still looks great. I mean, he, he looks just looks, as good as he did back in nineteen seventy-nine or whatever. Yep, yeah, they look fantastic. And the, when they put the white back
2: on, that was such a cool thing. And well, that was yeah, their it, makeup. It, it was. It was. They were the anti-kiss, and yeah. that was their thing. And now they have that back. And man, that really like. We, I, I went out and watched some of the show from, from kind of far back in the crowd. It's like, this is awesome. <laughs> it is really like because Punky's there and Frank and it sounds fantastic and it looks the same, and it's like a time machine, which I love. And the band sounds great and, and they sound the same because of Frank.
0: Agreed. And as I mentioned, we got to meet them at the Rock and Pot a couple summers ago. They're fantastic, Punky and Danny and Frank. All of them great guys, and here from their album from the fall of 2019. It's Angel off their album Risen with the track, We Were the Wild. Go out and buy it. If you want some good, classic, hard rock and roll, get Risen by Angel. Check it out. Love them. Glad to see them come back. Makes you feel good to hear them. Yeah. Well, Phil, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. And we've been threatening to do an interview uh, for a long time and have a conversation. This really isn't an interview. It's a conversation. Yeah. A
3: non, a non kiss conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, (laughs) we've had several of those.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, we've been threatening to have a conversation on air and I want to thank you for dropping by and kind of giving us a look into your pop culture. I'd like to have you come back. And if you want to hear us talk about cheap trick, we're going to be on cheap talk, which is coming back, uh, this, this spring. So fantastic. We're working on shows for that. Awesome. And uh, I'd like you to come on and we can do like, uh, like a round table on a TV show that you love or an album oh, that you love
3: I and just love that.
0: totally spend like an hour on it. So that
2: that's something I would love to do. So yeah, whenever you have something of uh, that pop that makes you think of me, I'd be happy to, that'd be great
0: fantastic well we will have you back and i want to thank you for coming on today and where where can people find mutt merch at
2: uh mutt merch you can find on muttmerch.com that's m-u-t-t-m-e-r-c-h.com we're on instagram and on facebook as well um and you can find me philip schaus on facebook and instagram and all that stuff too
0: and twitter and all that wherever all that stuff yes wherever the internet is at phil schaus is there
2: I am there. I'm there looking on.
0: Well, good luck with you and Accept with the Ace Fraley Band. Good luck with your continued work with Ryan Spencer Cook and the wonderful Jeremy Asbrock as well. You're all wonderful. Love you guys. Of course. Thank you. We love you, Ken. Thank you for all your support. We really appreciate it. Well, as you know, you guys are the real deal. So let's do this. Awesome, man. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. And we'll see you all in the next episode of Pop with Ken Mills. Yay! the podfather that's right that's me baby say see ya, phil
1: see ya, phil and that's our show pop is an online non-profit pop culture audio fanzine made for fans by fans any samples of music tv or movies heard here remain the property of their owners pop a pop culture podcast is not affiliated with any products we review or discuss Opinions heard here belong to the people who express them and may not reflect the views of the POP staff. If you like something that you heard, buy it at your local record, video, or bookstores, or wherever POP is found. If you enjoy the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm your announcer, Christine Wolf, saying whatever you do, make sure it pops. Hi everyone, Christine Wolf here. You might know me as a podcast host or announcer, or by my formal title, Christine the Button Queen, but I have a secret identity. I'm an independent insurance agent. That's right. It's nonstop excitement in my world, and protecting people's most important business and personal assets is a big part of it. With clients from coast to coast, it doesn't matter whether you're in Clarksville, Rockford, Gotham City, or a galaxy far, far away. I can help you. Give me a call for your free quote. If you're a business owner or decision maker, let's talk about an insurance portfolio custom fit for your needs. And on the personal side, whether you own your home or rent, have a driving record that's squeaky clean or not quite the best, I've got you covered. Oh, and about those monkeys collectibles you have, Yep, I can make sure those are protected too. I've put together a team with decades of experience of risk management and analysis, and my relationships with dozens of insurance companies means that I can put together an insurance program tailor-made for you. So give me a call today at 314-657-2995. That's 314-657-2995. Or email me at christinewolf at cjthomas.com or you can even PM me on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you and get the chance to run some free quotes for you and earn your business.